<sighs> okay, here we go. In this episode, I'm joined by sports medicine researcher and past president of the American College of Sports Medicine, Dr. Nicole Keith, PhD, to discuss the elusive topic of exercise for postmenopausal women. Now, Nicole Keith is a professor from the Department of Kinesiology and Associate Dean of Faculty Affairs in the School of Health and Human Sciences at Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis. Keith is dedicated to research and programming that increases physical activity participation, improves fitness, and positively influences health outcomes while also addressing health equity. So this is a really important and interesting conversation. My name is Brock Armstrong. Welcome to Second Wind Fitness. But before we get started... As you've probably noticed, this podcast is no longer in production, but there are so many people who are still listening to each episode and reaching out to me for advice and help and support that I've decided to keep the dream and this podcast alive, which means I'm paying a few maintenance fees out of my pocket. And I don't mean to make this sound like a woe is me kind of affair, because it is indeed a pleasure to have created something that is being appreciated. But... If you felt so inclined, you could go to brockarmstrong.com slash coffee to, yes, as it sounds, buy me a virtual coffee. And since coffee is easily my biggest device, I'm what you would call a coffee snob, if you buy me a coffee, I can pay my hosting fees with all the coffee money that I save. So win-win situation here. So go to brockarmstrong.com slash coffee and help keep this podcast and my fancy coffee habit alive. That's brockarmstrong.com slash coffee. Nicole Keith, thank you so much for joining me on Second Wind Fitness. I am really excited to dive into all the information that you have being a, a researcher that has focused on the aging population, and as well as a whole bunch of other things that we'll get into later. It's interesting to me to, to always find out how people were drawn to an area of research. And I know menopause and postmenopausal and all of that isn't your main area of research, but you did sort of get... Uh, well, I'll let you tell the story. How did you get involved in this area of research? Sure. So I am um, an investigator in the Indiana University Center for Aging Research, which is affiliated with Regan Streif Institute, which is a research institute in the Indiana University School of Medicine. But I'm also a faculty member in the Department of Kinesiology. And um, my research has always been related to physical activity, aging, health equity, and health disparities. And one of those groups that experiences physical activity um, at a lower rate than the general population is um, are girls and women. Right. And so it starts really early um, that girls, as they age into teenagers and then young adults and then middle-aged and older adults, uh, become less and less physically active for a variety of reasons. Um, that most, mostly have to do with social circumstances, um, like social acceptability, body image, are my friends participating in physical activity, that kind of thing that makes them, as they age, um, le have less physical literacy. So not only now 
They not know what to do, but they don't even know how to do it. Right. And in terms of older adults, it's really important for a variety of health outcomes that we remain physically active through the lifespan. And so that has always been my research. I was recently invited to a conference and was asked to speak about physical activity and postmenopausal women. And I was, I had to do some homework Mm -hmm. because I don't know about menopause, Uh, even though I'm at the age where it's going to happen any minute if it's not happening right now. um, (laughs) I don't really, I didn't really understand like what happens during menopause and how that affects health outcomes. So I did have to do a little bit of homework, um, but then I understood that it's not different and that just like every other physical condition, physical activity can help women in premenopause or perimenopause during menopause and postmenopause. So you really were sort of coerced into talking on this subject, but having the background that you have does make you an expert. And and I know when you say that you had to do some research, it's not like when people on uh, on Twitter say they did their research and <laughs> they watched a couple of YouTube videos. You actually know how to do your research. So I trust, uh, I trust everything that you have to say on this subject. But I really love the angle that you've approached this from, which is much more of a a social angle, like you said, that it's always as important to be getting physical activity. It's always important to be exercising, but women in particular, like girls and women, don't have the opportunities or, well, I won't put words into your mouth. It's a really interesting angle to to come at it from. And I know you have a, a, a real interest in health equity. So- is that the angle that you you came at this from? Is is really like trying to make this uh, an equality kind of a thing? So I can't help but do that. And yeah. so yes, yes. You know, I was uh, this talk that I ta- that I that you heard um, me comment about was to physicians, mm-hmm. and so it occurred to me after the talk, not before, unfortunately. So I was very nervous delivering the talk, to be honest. But after the talk. They understand all of the medicine. They understand physiology and biology, um, and even some psychology, but not necessarily the social impact of aging and how that affects physical activity. And so that's really what I talked about. And so when we talk about health equity, everybody kind of goes to race, and that's part of it for sure. Sure. But also thinking about disparities among women and disparities among people who are poor or who have low education, which causes them to have fewer resources, or people who have uh, little physical literacy because they did not grow up or age being active. And so there are disparities all over the place. I, I think about people with disabilities. There are lots of reasons, but all of those people that I just mentioned, who are women go through menopause, get something that occurs naturally, it's unavoidable, you know, you lose um, ovarian and follicular activity, it affects the way um, you tolerate heat when we exercise, our core temperature heats up, and when you're in menopause or perimenopause, everybody talks about, oh, I get so hot. Yeah, the hot flashes. Yeah, and so imagine, like, I'm so hot, and now you want me to exercise, (laughs) which is just going to make me hotter. And I have all of these other challenges associated with physical activity participation. So that's how I approached it. Right. I'm a, I'm a heavy sweater. 
but I cannot even imagine what kind of a situation someone in menopause or postmenopausal feels when they're exercising. Like I am, I, I'm a heavy sweater, but I don't, I can't even imagine trying to trying to deal with that. What would you say are the ways that women can start um, approaching and and thinking about their exercise, quote unquote, um, routine in this part of life, or even if they're just approaching this this part of life? So first I say, congratulations. <laughs> we got to this part of life. Right. Um, being a woman is hard. Uh, we face lots of challenges and we got here and wow, congratulations. And so it's a reason to celebrate. And one of the approaches I took as I was reading about this and reading papers about it is that I, I felt this sense of negativity. Like this is a horrible thing that happens. Mm. It, and it happens to all of us. Like it's a, one of the health outcomes that happens to everyone, no matter what you do. Like, so no matter how healthy you eat or how many kids you have, or if you have no kids, like no matter what, if you're a woman of a certain age that starts as young as 45, but could happen as long as late as 60, you're going to experience this. And that means you got there. And so it's a reason to celebrate. Like you lived life this long. This is great. Yeah. And now what are we going to do for the rest of our lives as we go through this new stage? And so first of all, I say, you know, the answer to your question, how do you prepare is you think positively about all that you've accomplished to get to this point, mm -hmm. um, regardless of physical activity. And now thinking about, okay, I want to age in a healthy manner for the rest of my life, what do I do? And so at first it's like, you have to realize like when it, what's happening and absolutely talk to your physician, but you'll have a final menstrual period. And this premenopause, perimenopause, because you don't know like if your menstrual periods are becoming irregular or if that's it, that's the last one I'm ever gonna have. Mm. But once you have the last one, you're in menopause. Yeah. So premenopause starts like one to two years before your final menstrual period. And then once you have your final menstrual period, there you are. And it's okay. And then when you get to perimenopause, that is when you start having all of these changes um, that are biological and like you have these clinical features, we talked about hot flashes, that's when it starts. Okay. Okay. So then you're in perimenopause. It's like between premenopause and postmenopause. Um, and again, it's just like something, it's going to happen. And I just think you should embrace it. Like here I am, this is happening. This is part of being a woman and that I should embrace it. Like all of the other physiological events um, since we were 12 years old that we had to embrace. This is another privilege of being a woman. Yeah. I <laughs> Obviously, I'm, I'm a man and I am very painfully aware of the patriarchy and the stigmas that have been placed on women when they start menstruating and how some men won't even go and purchase tampons or anything like that for their partners. Yeah. So, so I, it's, it's, Brock, it's a really funny story. So when I was, yeah. uh, my, my husband and I were first married and I had my period and I'm like, I'm so sorry. I don't feel well. I need you to go get tampons and pads for me. I know that's going to be embarrassing for you. 
And he was like, no, I'm proud. I've got a beautiful wife at home who's on her period. Nice. So he was like really happy. And I think that I'm like, he was proud. Like, you know, I've got this great woman and I'm, I'm taking care of her because she doesn't feel well. And I'm going to get what she needs so that she can survive this menstrual period that she's having. And I had really tough periods. So he was great. But I think that helped us. We have three daughters and a son, and they're all adults now. But that helped us teach them to embrace what, like, many people find embarrassing. Like, these are things that happen to normal humans. Yeah. I used used to joke with my daughters. So, like, I never expect you to get arrested. I never expect to learn that you're doing drugs. But I do expect that you're going to have a period one day. And one day I expect that you're going to have sex. <laughs> and because this is what humans do, it's nothing to be ashamed of. Yeah. But I think it's that um, setting of expectations early on and helping young people understand this isn't embarrassing. This is part of the human experience. And so then when I was reading about menopause and learning about what physical activity does with menopause, I, I really approached it that way. Like this is another part of the human experience, we should just expect it. It's coming. Yeah. I, and I love the mindset shift that you're, you're imploring or employing there. Just looking at it as like, well, this is happening. This is, this is reality. So how do I deal with it? How do I just move forward instead of trying to resist it or trying to pretend it's not happening? Cause it's, it's going to happen. So this is kind of the the million dollar question, but also I, I know I'm kind of leading you down a, down a road here, but is there a particular type of exercise or a routine or something that women should be doing in this time of their life to, to I don't know, somehow make things better or change the, the outcome? And so the question is, what will you do? Uh, That's the routine. What will what, you do, what listener? What will you do? <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> that is the routine. And so, so one of the things that I, I didn't say um, that it's really important to say is when you have your final menstrual period, that's kind of cool. It's a nuisance. I mean, it is. I, I don't know that I've ever met anybody who says, oh, I love getting my period. I want it. I can't wait till it comes. And so it's like this like moment of it's over. Like, I don't have to do that anymore. Although it is associated with some risks without that estrogen that we were getting before. And so there's a lot that comes with it physically. Like it can cause, uh, without that estrogen, it, it, it puts our, 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 our cardiac health at risk. Mm -hmm. Um, we have trouble sleeping. Um, we could have weight changes. Um, it, it comes with depression and anxiety. Sometimes there's hair loss. There's vaginal dryness, um, there's urinary incontinence, like there's all these other things, but geez, Lord, I don't have to have my period anymore. So, okay. And then once you start exercising, some of these health risks actually go away. And so it's really important to, you know, to answer your question, what will you do? And so if it's, I'm going to go for a walk and I know you're a huge proponent of walking Brock and people are like, Oh, that's not a real exercise. Yes, it is. It is. That's a real exercise. It's very doable every day throughout the day. But if you can find something else, so walking is key. 
like everybody walk. 95% of the American population are capable of walking. Uh, there are people who are n- un- not capable of walking or walking enough to meet physical activity guidelines. But if you can find 30 minutes a day, and it doesn't even have to be all at once, but yeah. a cumulative 30 minutes a day to go for a walk, that's the best thing because it's so accessible. You can walk inside, you can walk outside, you can walk on a treadmill, you can walk on a trail, you can walk your dog, you can walk around the track while your kids are practicing their sport. Like walking is pretty simple. Um, But, you know, we say do aerobic exercise, like walking or cycling or aerobic dance or whatever you enjoy. Um, But also do um, muscle strengthening activities. That's going to help with your activities of daily living. So for me, you know, I have two grandkids. One is heavier than the other. And I notice like when I'm picking them up, it's like, whoa, you're getting heavy. I need to do more (laughs) push-ups <laughs> because I want to be able to carry them. And, you know, functional training is great. Or if you have access to weights, you know, do those bicep curls or those tricep extensions or those lateral raises so that you can help keep up your upper body strength or do squats to help keep up your lower body strength. And if you have weights, great. If you don't, just just do the movement with your body and, mm. you know, maybe use your child or your grandchild as um, that piece of resistance because they're gaining weight every day. And uh, my grandson in particular finds it hilarious uh, when I lift him up into the air and put him back down. Sure. Um, but I am <laughs> actually doing bicep curls. He doesn't know that. Um, he thinks we're playing. And, you know, in fact, we are, uh, but I'm helping m- maintain my strength also. So cardiovascular training, resistance training, flexibility is mm. so essential. It's going to help reduce the risk of injury and it, it's going to just help with your overall movement, your ability to reach and to bend over and and to get in and out of your car and to go up and down the stairs. Like flexibility is so important for your activities of daily living. So like what exercises are important? All exercises are important, but it's also thinking intentionally about what will you do and then doing that. I, I love the the message of like, what will you do? What are you willing to do? What can you fit into your life and and not have to uproot all your other activities? But also the you made such a great point of when you're picking up a, a grandchild or something and you realize that you're not strong enough to do that anymore, that's a great cue to then be like, okay, well, I know I need to work on this part of my flexibility or this part of my strength. Or if I'm unable to get into the car very well, then I need to work on this kind of flexibility. Because I think a lot of time we just look at like, what are the YouTubers telling me I should do rather than looking at what's going to help my particular position in life and make me able to do the things that I love and enjoy and need to do. That's I think that's such a great, great message and a great place to start with your physical activity routine. And I think it's also important for people to understand what counts because mm-hmm. no, you don't have to change your clothes. No, you don't have to put on a special kind of shoe. Um, no, you don't have to wear a heart rate monitor. I mean, you can do all of those things. But again, um, in the spirit of health equity, not everybody can afford those things. And so, you know, what else can I do? So most of us clean our homes. (laughs) And so sweeping and mopping and dusting and vacuuming 
are all going to increase heart rate. If you're carrying laundry from one location to the other, folding it and putting it away, that requires a certain level, level of energy expenditure. If you're outside and you're cutting the grass with a walk mower, or if you, you know, into flowers or vegetables and you're gardening and you're bending over and you're pulling up weeds and you're taking care of your yard or you're mulching, like all of that really does require a tremendous amount of energy. And the faster you move, the more energy you're spending. And so those things count as well. I, again, default to walking. It's great to be outside. Um, It's good for the environment. You're not driving. You're not um, using fossil fuels and hurting our environment. Uh, But also, it's really great to just like see grass and trees and nature. So walking is great. But these other kinds of activities of daily living like chores or like gardening and taking care of your yard are also, and even childcare. So I talk about my, my grandkids are really like months old, so they're little, but as they get older, like taking them to the playground, don't just watch them play, play with them, push them Mm -hmm. on the swings. That's resistance training, swing with them, pump your legs. That's resistance training. (laughs) Or if they don't want you to do that, because you know, they're playing with their friends and they don't want you to um, dampen their coolness. (laughs) <laughs> then just walk around the playground so you can keep an eye on them, but you're still moving. Just don't sit on the bench. And so there are other things that do not require you get a gym membership or even necessarily change your clothes and shoes that are going to help you be more active. Yeah, there's nothing in our biology that differentiates between what you were just talking about and going to an aerobics class or going to a yoga class or something. It's not like our body suddenly goes, oh, we're wearing spandex. That means this is a workout. (laughs) That's exactly right. Okay. I have a bunch of other things I want to talk to you about, but first we have to pay our membership fees. Do you like to shop on amazon.com and enjoy supporting this podcast? You do? Well, have I got a deal for you. If you start your Amazon shopping adventure by going to brockarmstrong.com slash Amazon, I will get a small percentage of the money that you spend. And the best part is that you don't pay anything extra. This all comes out of their pockets. Take that, Bezos. So next time you buy anything on Amazon, go to brockarmstrong.com slash Amazon and shop while also supporting this podcast. I truly thank you for being a listener and for your support. That's brockarmstrong.com slash Amazon. So you gave a great list of of the things that happen in, in menopause, and so many of those things can not necessarily be completely eliminated, but can be helped with exercise. But is there anything about menopause or perimenopause? Are there any risks involved with getting some exercise or increasing your your exercise at that time of life? Um, so I am going to say the benefit outweighs the risk every time, mm. um, every time. And, and so I am not a person who's going to say, oh, don't exercise because of X. If, let's say, um, that you have osteoporosis or let's say that you have cardiovascular disease or hypertension or even if you have like mental health issues, of course you should be seeing a medical professional yeah. and talking to them about exercise. Of course you should. 
Um, but there should never be a medical professional who says you shouldn't do it. And if you run into someone like that, run the other way. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, just get a second opinion. Yeah. I, you know, I, I'm not a physician. There might be a reason why someone shouldn't perform certain types of exercises. Um, I'm a huge proponent and personal training or group fitness instruction, because then you have somebody watching you mm. to say, oh, you shouldn't do that because you could hurt your lower back or um, that type of movement is not great for your knees. And so if you, you, if you do have these musculoskeletal issues, um, or if you do have cardiovascular issues, enlisting a professional is completely fine, but there should never be a professional who says you can't do it. They might say, my preference is that I refer you to someone who can make some observations to make sure they're doing it correctly. And that might be a physical therapist, um, depending on whether you've had a previous injury, but it might be a personal trainer as well. Um, and, you know, if you can't afford that, because personal training is expensive, mm-hmm. and I understand that, there are so many reputable resources online or on your smartphone via apps that you can use and watch um, that can help you as well. When you don't have to have that person there with you for the rest of time, anytime you work out, usually having that instruction in the beginning, giving you the pointers, making sure that your alignment is good, and then you can go and do it by yourself too. So it's sort of like a a one-time investment in some ways and and a worthwhile one. Right. So a couple of years ago, I had an injury which required that I went to a physical therapist. I graduated from physical therapy. (laughs) She said, you know what to do. Now go do it and don't stop doing it. And I'm not a great patient, admittedly. (laughs) And so I knew what to do, but I didn't enjoy doing it without my physical therapist there cheering me on. (laughs) She actually didn't have to tell me what to do. I just wanted her there to see I was doing it and to say, good job. I needed that. (laughs) And so then I started going to a group fitness studio so that I could do the same exercises. And I had my crew of people who were going there too with the uh, group exercise instructor and I got what I needed. So it's what you need. It's what Mm. you will do. Could I exercise with my husband? I sure could. He exercises every day. He's not a great cheerleader. I need that external reinforcement to say, you're doing so great. And um, not everybody needs that, but I do. And so you have to figure out what do you need and where do you go to get it? That makes so much sense. Just figuring out what keeps you happy and fulfilled about your your workout program. It's really important. Now, as far as osteoporosis goes, are there some activities or particular movements or or anything that, that people can focus on to either like help not end up in that position or to heal that? So there are certain groups of people who are um, more susceptible to osteoporosis than other groups of people. So all women are more susceptible compared to men. Um, But women who are Asian and women who are white are more likely uh, to experience osteoporosis than other women of color. Mm. And so Already, if you're white or Asian, it puts you at greater risk. And so just know that. But, you know, we're talking about bone density. And I know when people think about bones, they think about this static part of our body. But bone cells turn over just like all the other cells in our body. Yeah, Our bones are changing every day. 
And so think about bones are this like malleable structure within your body. It's not, you know, I've got my finger and my finger is my finger and the bones in my finger are the same bones day in and day out forever. That's not true. The cells in your finger bones are turning over constantly. And so like, think of it that way, first of all, and then to answer your question, everything weight bearing. Hmm. So you need to use all of those. I choose fingers because while we, we type, we don't really use our hands. And so like when our hands start to become arthritic and we start carrying the crackles and it's because we're not using our hands for anything that that what our hands were built for. So Mm. really like start using your hands to grip and lift, but for the rest of our body too, it's all weight bearing. And so if you're doing functional training, just like using your body as resistance is completely fine. Like doing push-ups and crunches and squats in jumping jacks and anything that requires stress on the bones is really good. But then, you know, you could get to a point where you start having to do some progressive resistance training. So adding some dumbbells or adding some weights or weight machines, because you're starting to notice I'm getting stronger. This doesn't, this doesn't feel uncomfortable anymore. Mm. And so um, there has to be like this certain level of minimal discomfort, not pain, yeah, not pain, but minimal discomfort to know that I am really protecting my bone structure. Yeah, I like to think of it as comfortably uncomfortable. Yes. <laughs> it's like walking that fine line. But yeah, the weight bearing, I think a lot of people don't even think of like they, they hear the word weight bearing and they think, oh, I need to put like a barbell across my shoulders or or something like that. But just body weight having the muscles tugging on the bones is what we're really after. Like just getting that, that tugging, getting that squishing, getting all of that extra movement and and flexing on the bones is what then causes them to create those new cells. Right. Right. That's exactly right. And you know, I'm, I'm a physical activity researcher. Nutrition is really important. Mm. Sleep is incredibly important as well. Um, and so while we're talking about physical activity, I just want to say that, you know, you can't outwork bad habits. And so if mm. you don't sleep well, and if you don't eat well, and if you don't practice some form of mindfulness and stress reduction, working out is not going to undo the harm of not having those good habits. And movement is magical, but it's not that magical. <laughs> yes. Now, we've talked a couple of times during during this conversation about health equity, and I, I know you're such a wealth of, of knowledge in this area. Is there anything that, that the listeners out there can focus on or do in their communities to try and encourage uh, more health equity in their own neighborhoods or in their own lives? So the first easy thing to do is be a great mo- role model. Yeah. Um, if people see you out walking, and actually the more people who are walking, the more people who will be out walking. Because it feels safe. Um, oh, right. Yeah. So if, if there are a lot of people around, the likelihood that you feel uncomfortable and afraid is significantly reduced. Um, I also say that um, active transportation helps with economic development. So like, if you think about if you're out walking past a store and you see something interesting in the window and you want to go in and explore, that's going to happen. If you're driving in your car... It's not going to happen. So it's going to help with jobs um, and it's going to help with the economy 
of a particular city or town. I also think it's really important for all kinds of people to be encouraged to walk. And I live in a community where there are a lot of walkers and I see people out walking their dogs and jogging and they have all kinds of body types. I see women who look like they're in their 80s and 90s out in their yards gardening and they look really frail, but they're not. They're out there every day. And I just think it's important for us to encourage one another. Like that's the first thing we can do. But also think about who's being excluded mm. and how you can be a voice for people who don't have voices. Um, policymakers are the ones who are deciding about urban design, like what's the speed limit going to be in your community and um, how much time people get to cross the street. Is it going to be 30 seconds or 40 seconds or 50 seconds? And thinking about, you know, how safe people feel because maybe I can get across the street in 30 seconds, but someone else, it's really going to take them 45. And how much time are we going to give people to cross the street before the street light changes? Are there bike lanes? And if there are bike lanes, is there a barrier between the cars and the bike lanes? Or if there's construction, is are there signs that make sure pedestrians know you can't use the sidewalk, but how can you walk? And are you going to tell them before they're at the sidewalk that they can't um, traverse because it's blocked? And so really encouraging our policymakers to think about as um, they're either developing urban design or they're uh, reconfiguring a street or a sidewalk to think about the safety of pedestrians and cyclists and really talking to policymakers. Where I live, um, politicians go door to door quite frequently Mm. and ask us what's important. And I always talk about the built environment and the um, ability to be active in our communities and for active transportation. I know money matters. Like I know we want to be able to buy gas and put groceries um, in our homes, but this is important too. And so while we talk about jobs and the economy, please also talk about physical activity. I think there is a, so much focus on putting car cars first that there, it's an afterthought always to think about. Like I think bicycles get a little more attention these days than they used to, but I think us walkers get get thrown under the bus literally sometimes <laughs> unfortunately when it comes to the policies and stuff so that's that's great advice and just be, before we go is there anywhere that you would direct people to get some more information about whether it's health equity or or about menopause and do you have some resources you can share with us yeah so um i'm the second past president of the american college of sports medicine and so at acsm.org. There's a lot of information about physical activity and health equity. There's another website called exerciseismedicine.org where you can uh, get information. And then the Physical Activity Alliance, so PAA Move With Us, is another really great resource where uh, actually the National Physical Activity Plan is housed. And so those are three really good resources I frequently use. Um, The CDC offers, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention offers information about the the U.S. Physical Activity Guidelines 
And so uh, there's great information there. And there's also great information from the Department of Health and Human Services and the World Health Organization. And so there are lots of entities that are, are offering resources about what counts as physical activity and how to get it in there in your daily lives. And then also who it's for um, from someone who's two years old to someone who's 102 years old. You know, a few years ago, mentioning those .org websites, I may have bristled a little bit, but thanks to researchers and, and spokespeople like you, I think those government agencies and stuff have actually made some real changes to their policies that actually are reflecting the kind of work that you're doing and, and the things that you're talking about. It's not sort of that narrow-minded view of, well, 150 minutes per week of moderate to vigorous exercise, and for the rest of it, you're on your own. It's actually helpful and, and knowledgeable. So thank you for all the research that you're doing and all the and getting the, the word out there and, and making that change possible. Sure. And I will say that like today, right before we talked, I'm working on the President's Council for Sport, Fitness, and Nutrition. And um, we're reviewing physical activity research specifically for older adults and how the interventions are producing outcomes so that we can advise those entities. And so when I say go to those websites, they are being informed by research and by researchers who are working together to talk about the evidence and whether there's strong, moderate, or minimal evidence about what works or what doesn't. So these websites that I mentioned, it's not just, you know, a college kid in the back room <laughs> tweeting what they think or posting it on Instagram. These are really backed by science. It's so important to do those reviews too, like looking at what has been recommended over the over the years, doing the review and making sure that that stuff is still accurate. I know recently the in Canada anyway, the recommendations for exercise for pregnant women was reviewed and completely turned on its head in some ways, actually very reflective of what you've been talking about, how there really isn't a reason to not exercise while you're pregnant, kind of the same way as there isn't, unless you have extenuating circumstances, a reason to not exercise in menopause and postmenopause. So that's it is really exciting to see that kind of work happening. And I feel really honored that you took the time to to share that with me today. Well, I just have to say, because I'm so proud of her, um, my daughter just graduated um, from the university here, and uh, she played Division One basketball, and her senior season, um, she was pregnant her entire senior season, and played her last game, and had a double-double player of the game, five months pregnant. Wow. And so it's it's possible. Um, women's bodies are amazing, and it's amazing what we can do. We were built to do these physical activities, and we should. Um, there's no reason to not do it. She was, she had a great obstetrician who told her, like, please stop taking charges and dive diving for the ball during your third trimester. But everything else is cool. So, yeah. <laughs> so it's our um, our our bodies as women are amazing. We should embrace them. We should not think of. Uh, these biological activities that happen as part of being a woman as anything but positive. We're really blessed that we were given these gifts uh, that only women have. Yeah, the list of 
endurance sports is where I, I really focus on it and really enjoy and the list of women who are coming back from their second, their third pregnancy and absolutely dominating the sport is the list is growing longer and longer these days. So it really isn't an end to anything. You can come back to your sport if you want to. You can continue to do the things that you love if you want to. And that message is, I don't think it's been as uh, as prevalent as it needs to be or should be going forward. And, and I will just say, you know, it goes back to what I said in the beginning, do what you will do. And so people ask, well, what should I do? And I will say, were you ever physically active? And if you were, what did you do? And people are like, well, I liked to climb trees as a kid. Mm. Okay, so I'm not going to recommend you climb trees, but maybe you can find a, a rock climbing facility. Right. Um, if you like to climb, go climb. Um, if you like to play soccer, play soccer. Like whatever you like to do as a kid, go do that again. Um, it's what you will do. Speaking of weight bearing exercises, jumping rope, I think is sort of one of those things that we do a lot as children and girls tend to do it even more. And if you enjoyed that, what a great way to to incorporate some some cardiovascular exercise, some coordination, some balance, and also some weight bearing. We have a double Dutch club in our city. Um, and nice. it's women who are in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s who like to jump double dutch if you know what that is it's two ropes and you jump in you i could never do it (laughs) (laughs) it does take quite a bit of coordination and confidence that's amazing well i won't keep you any longer thank you so much nicole for for joining us today and sharing all this information and i'll put all the links in the show notes to everything that you mentioned and um thank you very much thanks for having me 